you have a copy of God's Word, if you would open to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll begin in verse 19. The Gospel of Matthew, the 6th chapter, verses 19 through 24. And there, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he tells us this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. When you hear me use the word money in today's sermon, capitalize it in your mind. We're going to be talking about money not as a medium of exchange, which is morally neutral, but money as an idol, a lord, a master, an alternative god, money with a capital M, as it's printed in the last line of the text we just read. Jesus had no problem with money as a medium of exchange, he and his band of disciples used money to buy stuff and to pay their taxes. It's neither good nor bad. But money as a God, money with a capital M, money as a power that competes with God for our heart's affections, money as an idol that claims our time and energy, our love and loyalty, that's another matter. And Jesus warns us about this kind of money, money with a capital M. Do not, he says, do not serve, love, or be devoted to this powerful, seductive master. Did you hear the reasons he gives? In the text Leo just led us in reading, our Lord gives us two compelling reasons why to choose one master over another, why to serve and love and be devoted to his Father instead of to this alternative, seductive, attractive God, money with a capital M. Two reasons why not to let money be your master. And the first reason is that money doesn't last. Don't let money master you because money doesn't last. Verse 22 again, or verse uh, 19 rather. 
Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Moth and rust and thieves stand here for a, a wider class of anything and everything that has the same effect. Unexpected crisis, underinsured disaster, loss of job, business failure, inflation, the, the expenses associated with a prolonged physical illness. All material possessions are subject to decay, loss. And many people have experienced, maybe you have experienced, Proverbs 23, 5. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. <laughs> they sprout wings and fly off like an eagle. A woman on television was interviewed as the ruins of her home smoldered in the background. And she said with tears in her eyes, everything I worked for was in that house. Now, you or I might say something similar in that situation. But how sad if that was literally true for us or for her. That everything we cared about, everything we strive for, everything we work for could go up in smoke or be destroyed by moth, rust, or stolen by thieves. And even if our house never burns down and we get to live there until the day we die, even if our individual retirement account is still healthy and we have something to pass on to our heirs, there will come a moment of final separation from our money and everything that money can buy. The Spanish say there are no pockets in a shroud. Americans sometimes say you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Kent Hughes tells of an eminent man, a wealthy, cultured man, whose palatial house was filled with artwork and paintings, and first editions, and leather-covered volumes. And uh, one day an old family servant found this older man moving slowly through his elaborate library, fingering favorite treasured volumes on the shelves, laying his hand on statuary that was found throughout the room, looking at the paintings on the wall and saying quietly as he moved through the room, I must leave you. I must leave you. There's nothing wrong with saving, with prudent planning, good stewardship of finances. In fact, the Bible, particularly the book of Proverbs, commends careful, prudent planning for the future, urges people to um, not be a burden to others if they can help it, but rather to have enough to share and to provide for their own family and to put away money for a rainy day. What Jesus counsels against here is selfish acclamation of material things. 
He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Stuff that feeds this foolish notion that our lives consist of the things we possess. The materialism that tethers our heart to this earth instead of to heaven. And the greed that makes us insensitive to the crying need of this world. But, verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, prioritize the kingdom of God and His concerns in the way you use money as a medium of exchange. And make some blue chip investments in eternity. (laughs) Preaching from a different text, in a different context, I told you the story of the big tipper. (laughs) This man was having lunch with a friend and at the end of the meal laid down on the table the biggest tip his friend had ever seen anybody give for a couple of hamburgers and Cokes. And the friend started to tease him about being the last of the big time spenders. The man explained that uh, he ate at that restaurant often. He knew the wait staff by name and they knew him by name And they liked him because he was generous. And he said, I've had an opportunity to share the gospel with any number of them. In fact, one of them has trusted Christ and is now in a Bible study in our home with my wife and me. In other words, he was using money, what God had entrusted to him, to invest in one of the only two things that will go from this world into eternity, people and the word of God. And that's just one example of how we can prioritize God and His concerns and make God, not money, our master. Rather, to use money to serve God. You, if you let the Holy Spirit speak to you, will think of other ways that you can do this. You might tithe. You might support a a needy child through Samaritan's Purse. You may find ways to simplify life and cut expenses so that you have more to share. And why should you? Well, Jesus says in verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, he does not say what we might expect him to say. That where your heart is, there your treasure will be. That what you really care about, what's on your heart, will show in what you do with your treasure. That may be true. But Jesus is recognizing something of real true psychology here. He knows that when we invest our material treasure in something, someplace, someone, our heart will follow. If you have a favorite college or charity that you invest in, you will pay attention to what's happening at that place. You'll care. If you put a lot of money into your home and property, you will become attached to it and you'll care. And if you prioritize the kingdom of God in your use of your your financial treasure, you will care. Your heart will follow. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. 
Some of us of another generation remember singing a chorus that had this line in it. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I hope so. I hope so. Because that treasure will last forever. But Jesus warns us not to let money master us because it doesn't last. And that's the first reason he gives here for choosing to serve and love and be devoted to his Father instead of to money. Don't let money master you because money doesn't last. And secondly, don't let money master you because money will blind you. That's the second reason he gives us for his argument here. Money will blind you. The eye, verse 22, is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. The wording may be a little bit strange to us, but the basic point of the saying should be clear. Eyes let light into the body. They are kind of a window or lamp. And we depend on light to function. Now it is true that blind people sometimes compensate amazingly, but for the most part, uh, we function well when we're in the light, and when we're in the dark, well, then we, we don't function so well. And the point is this, as in the first paragraph, the contrast was between two places to invest your treasure. Here the contrast is between people who see clearly as God would have us see, and people who have been blinded by money and so who do not see clearly and do not function and live life as God meant it to be lived because they are spiritually blinded. There once was a man who loved gold. And then when he inherited um, a significant fortune, he went about redecorating his bedroom. He put gold parchment wallpaper up. He got a gold-colored rug and a yellow bedspread and yellow curtains, and he even bought yellow pajamas. Well, not surprisingly, when he got ill, it was with yellow jaundice. <laughs> and his wife called the doctor, who made a house call, went upstairs to the gold bedroom, and um, was up there for a while, and when he came down, the wife said, well, how is he? And the doctor said, I don't know, I couldn't find him. Uh, we lose perspective, we may even lose ourselves if blinded by money with a capital M. And so the Apostle Paul warned Timothy and told him to warn the church. People who want to get rich fall into temptations, traps, foolish desires, and destruction. In my first pastorate in suburban Denver, a neighbor a few doors down asked if he could come over a couple nights later and visit with me. He had something important he wanted to talk to me about. Well, I readily agreed. I had been praying for him and his wife, looking for an opportunity to to share the gospel, and thought, God has answered my prayer. This man wants to come and talk about his soul. 
It turns out he wanted to recruit me to become part of his business. And he had his spiel down. He, uh, he showed me how it worked and how even working part-time for him, I could supplement my income and get to the point where I could have all these things that he held up pictures of. A nice car, a bigger home, fancy vacations, a yacht. And uh, when I was able to interrupt him, I kindly but firmly said that those things really didn't interest me all that much. That if I had more money, my lifestyle probably wouldn't change a whole lot. But he wasn't going to be so easily deflected. He said, well, tell me, what are your dreams? I said something like this. I'm not sure if you'd call them dreams, but I have four things that I want to do in life. I want to love God. I want to be a good husband and father. I want to be a world Christian, by which I mean a Christian who takes seriously the cause of God in this wide world. And I want to keep my body in shape. And he didn't know what to do with that. Huh, he said. In other words, it's not much of an exaggeration to say he was blind to things that really matter to me and I think really matter to God because he was thinking about the yacht and the car and the house and the vacations. Well, a couple days later, he brought me a couple of cassette tapes. Anybody remember what cassette tapes are? They were talks by a man in his business who had spoken to a convention to rouse the troops to sell more. And my neighbor probably thought I would be interested in this because the speaker had a ministerial background. He knew I was a pastor. And it is true that the speaker had a ministerial background, but that didn't mean that he saw what the Bible teaches his own materialism had blinded him to the plain teachings of the Bible. He told, for example, the story of Moses at the burning bush and said this is a lesson in how God increased Moses' self-confidence. And you, speaking to the audience, need God to raise your self-confidence so you can escape financial slavery. And he told the story of Joseph and how Joseph dreamed of personal prestige and success. And God granted him those things. Joseph believed that his dream was real and Joseph believed that his dream was right. That was the outline for his talk. At one point he said to the audience, some of you who do not succeed in this business will fail even though you believe that the dream is real, you've seen the math, you know it works, but you doubt that the dream is right. You ask yourself, how can I make the acquisition of wealth a priority in a world where so many people are poor and even starving? And told how he had visited Cambodia and there saw misery and desperate need and asked the question, do you think that I felt guilty because I was wearing a $20,000 wristwatch? No. I believe my dream is right. So not only could my neighbor be blinded to the gospel and biblical values by his focus on money, 
But even this man who should have known better, who knew enough about the Bible to abuse it, could be blinded because he saw everything through lenses with dollar signs on them. Money can blind you, even to the meaning of God's Word. Jesus says, if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Don't let money master you, because it will blind you to God's truth, God's values, and substitute a dollar-shaped, cheap imitation of the abundant life that God offers you. So our Lord has given us two reasons, two compelling reasons why we should love and serve and be devoted to God and not to money with a capital M. Don't let money master you because money doesn't last. Don't let money master you because money can blind you. And then Jesus ends by saying, you can't serve both. You've got to make a choice. No one, verse 24, can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then what follows is a, a line that even a lot of Christians have trouble really, really believing. You cannot serve both God and money. We'd like to think, yeah, yeah, I think you can. Why can't you? Why do you have to choose? Why can't you pursue money and at the same time give God his due? Why do you have to make a choice? And the answer lies in the, the nature of money and the nature of God. They have something in common. Give them an inch and they'll take a mile. Yield them a corner of your heart and they will demand everything of you. Neither money nor God will be content with just part of you. People who let money master them find themselves interpreting all of life in terms of dollars and cents. Marxists, for example, reduce people to producers and consumers. Everything else, art, philosophy, religion, everything else is just secretions of the brain to further or disguise our economic pursuits. And all of history can be explained as class warfare, economic animals competing for limited resources. But don't think capitalism holds no dangers. 200 years ago, the faculty at Oxford was debating whether to allow economics into the curriculum as a separate department. Some of them were hesitant because in the words of one, it is a science prone to usurp all the rest. His caution was understandable because since then, the most important function of government has become uh, economics. The, the gurus are the council of economic advisors. The budget debates rule. 
people are urged to vote their pocketbooks and typically do. The environment can be fouled or destroyed for short-term economic gain. Abortion is defended because of the high cost of caring for unwanted children. Tons of food are burned up every year despite the hunger all over the world to prop up crop prices. And examples could be multiplied to demonstrate that where money is master, moral choices become economic choices. And the bottom line is the bottom line. What happens on the national scale happens with individuals. Henry Ford, after he had made millions, was asked, how much money is enough? Enough, he snorted. There's never enough. When people ask me how much money I want to make, the answer is always more. More. Give money a corner of your heart, and it takes over. And God's the same way. In issuing the Ten Commandments, he described himself as a jealous God. He does not want to be first among gods, but God alone. And Jesus echoed Moses that we are to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Nothing in reserve for other gods. Jesus also said that unless we're willing to give up everything, we can't even be his disciple. You can't serve God and money because they're both jealous gods. <laughs> we have to make a choice. In the same way that Joshua centuries ago told the people of Israel they had to make a choice. Did you know that Jesus is the New Testament form of the Old Testament name Joshua? And both Joshuas, Yeshuas, <laughs> force us to make a choice. The way Joshua put it, when the people of Israel were about to enter the land of promise, with all of God's promises ringing in their ears, he said you're going to be surrounded by other people who have other gods and other values, and you're going to have to make a choice. Are you going to serve the gods your ancestors served? Are you going to serve the gods of your neighbors? Or are you going to serve the Lord? You have to make a choice. And then he said, as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, help us to make the same choice. Motivated by the words of Joshua and the words of Jesus and empowered by your Holy Spirit, would you help us to choose the right master? <laughs> Not waste our lives, our time, our energy serving money with a capital M, but investing in eternity. This does not come naturally, and our consumer culture appeals to that which is already in our hearts, a tendency to acquisitiveness and materialism, greed and envy and everything else even sometimes convincing us that those sins are right. But you can overcome that in us 
woo us and win us to yourself and to a life centered on you. I ask that for myself, my family, my church family. I ask it for Jesus' sake, but also, Lord, frankly, for our own sake, that we might not miss out on the life that you meant us to live now and forever. And ask it in the strong and worthy name of Jesus, and let all his people say, Amen.